Welcome to our Healing the Masculine segment of the Cosmic Collective podcast. This series is all about diving into conversations with incredible guests surrounding healing as a man in a society that has taught them not to feel, as well as how to balance the masculine energy within us all, regardless of gender or sex. This series was requested by our male listeners, and I am so proud and honored to be able to hold this space and connect with these incredible male leaders in our community to help shed insight on emotional and spiritual healing of men from a man's perspective. Healing the wounded masculine energy that has affected society and everyone in it is a collaborative effort. These episodes are dedicated to our male listeners with equal hopes that our female and non-binary audience also take time to digest these episodes to learn more on how we can support the men who are healing during this pivotal time. So let's dive in to Healing the Masculine. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to be kicking off this series for the men, for the male listeners specifically, also women if you're listening. This has been a series that has been asked for by you guys, and we have our first incredible guest here to tackle this topic with us. His name is Chris Sintik, and he is a yoga instructor and personal trainer. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to healing the masculine polarity, the male principle in society, redefining toxic masculinity, and I am so excited for this conversation. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yes, I'm very excited to be here as well. I'm so pumped. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Where are you now, and where did you come from? Yeah, I am living in the present. That is the main goal these days. Um, it's been a journey to get here too, which is the funny part. I My story is kind of all over the place and looking back, it's an exciting journey to get to where I'm at. Um, I'm starting to get to the point, I'm 28 now, so I'm kind of getting into the end of my 20s and I'm getting to the point where I'm looking back and I'm starting to see that all of these ancillary things that didn't really make sense are adding up into this bigger picture. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's it's really cool to see. And in in the beginning, basically, I grew up in Michigan in a like rural town, and it was a very nature focused childhood we had like three acres of land and nice yeah it was like i attest a lot of my temperament these days to having that connection to nature um and it was really small kind of community i had my parents and they we were pretty poor that was kind of the underlying economic state that we were in and they lived in a catholic Kind of community and that was where i started to come into the world and it was pretty contained so that was starting to be the bits and pieces of everything i had this nature element and then as i got socialized into the world had this kind of connection to a very specific religious framework which i am glad that it happens looking back like there are so many different things that are great about it and then a couple things that were a little challenging to grow through. And as I got older and kind of came into myself more as a person, you start to get extra emotional understandings and then your sexuality starts to bud a bit more. And all of these things that are so amazing as a human being, but in the moment become extremely difficult to tackle, kind of complicate it, right? So I started to realize that I was attracted to men and in this more, 
and at the time I didn't even know what to call it because I was in such a contained Catholic world. Wow. Yeah, so it was kind of crazy. Um, just having this like understanding that you're different, but not having like a label for it. Right. So that was kind of the beginning. And then we moved to Florida. So that was like a huge transition when I was about uh, going into fifth grade, about 10. And that was like a huge culture shock. And we kind of got out of this very almost strict Catholic community to being a little bit more lax. And so okay. I see a lot of different elements of the world, right? A lot of different angles of being. And that was at the point where I was really coming into my sexuality and starting to realize a lot of dissonances between what I was taught and what I was feeling and, and all these things. And I had always known that I was different, but it was never clear cut. There was never like a, a symbol or a person or an identity that I could relate to. So it was kind of this question mark. Okay. So that was kind of the general uh, I guess, formulation period of my life as a, a boy in society, right? And high school happened and I got more confident in things and understood more and got to see tons of different lifestyles and finally got to the point where I was like, oh, okay, this is who I am. I'm a gay man in this world, right? Cool. So right. it feels good. I feel related to it. It was finally this like container I could step into. And I was extremely fortunate to one, have a family system that is supportive, and two, just having a, uh, I guess, a framework internally of being confident in that. And I feel like there was right. this element of the whole process where even though I was kind of detached from this, like, right, I didn't have an idea of what I was, I still knew it's what I was, right? Like this confidence right. behind it. So that was something that kind of came into being and almost once I figured out, oh, this is who I am, it was a, a fairly easy journey coming out. Okay, that's really vague. <laughs> it was, so kind of like as that bubbled up and it broke through the surface, it was this moment of like, and granted, like I'm kind of giving you the quick like top line. Of course. Story. There were some issues that were difficult to overcome, but in general, my parents, the first things they said to me were, it's going to be okay. And then we had this long conversation and sat down. And then at that point, it became less of like a sexuality thing and more about like, what do you believe in religiously and like all of that. And interesting. Okay. It was it was funny to me, but like there was this clear divide of like, I don't believe in all of these things. I just need to experience all of the other things out there and make a decision for myself. Right. And and so yeah. in terms of the psychological development, I was getting to the point where you're you're almost coming up to that manhood, right? This was about 17, mm -hmm. 18. Okay, yep. That was the moment where it's like, I want to make a decision for myself. I'm not gonna take just what is handed to me anymore. I'm gonna question these things. Good for you. Yeah, and so that was, and it, it's funny because I say that in hindsight, it was great, but like during it, you're like an angsty teenager. And like, you don't know what you're gonna think. And you're you like, you hate your parents at that point and everything they say, no matter if it's good or bad, you're gonna be like, I don't agree with it. I'm not gonna do this kind of thing. Yes, yeah, for sure. At that point, I was going into college and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but like, it, and when it comes with like this, like more masculine energy, there is this tendency to kind of like, 
almost feign that you do know what you want you want to do or like you feign that you know the answer mm -hmm. even though like deep down you really don't so I'm kind of right. like I don't know what I'm gonna do but like I know that I want to get away from my parents and I like know that I want to like do something big with my life like I want to like yes. change the world so yeah. I ended up going to college at Florida State University and lost little boy, got into a lot of trouble. I was, of course, a sheltered kid. So once you go into a big university, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> all of these crazy things are at your doorstep and you get to choose all of these different things. So mm -hmm. I had a fun time, but it came with a lot of consequences as a result. Naturally, so yeah. That was this moment. And we'll kind of talk about some things, like once I get into this framework later on masculinity that are gonna kind of make a bit more sense with my journey. Um, okay. And at that point, I just remember, like, your first year, you can be undeclared. And then the sophomore year is kind of when you need to be like, all right, this is what I'm going to major in. And yeah. I remember sitting down and looking at every single major that was on the list. And I, like, went through and I was like, don't relate to that. Don't like that. That seems boring. This seems stupid. Like, da 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 And then there were, mm -hmm. like, three things that stood out to me. And it was, like, media production, film, and creative writing or English. Yeah, it was very called to the kind of more like poetic side of things, like the aesthetic. Yeah. And I loved the photography. Arts. That was like the one thing that I was like, I was really into as a kid. So I ended up studying media production and learned about the kind of behind the scenes, almost like behind the curtain of how they make documentaries and media and just all these different things. I minored in creative writing and film studies and got into Interestingly enough, I had no idea at the time, but a lot of film studies is very psychoanalytical. So we talked a lot about psychology, a lot about symbols, a lot about these narratives on a cultural level and how they impact the individual. Okay, nice. So again, like these things started to kind of come together. And at that point, I had made this decision of like, I'm going to do media and film and I want to work in the film industry and I want to be a director. Like that is what I want Ooh. to do. So I made this decision, okay. and again, this was all coming from this little boy who is deep down, like, lost inside. Like, still doesn't know what he wants to do, but is, like, feigning this idea of, like, this is it, I've made the decision, and now I'm going to stick to it. And it's right. because the decision literally came from me just sitting down and looking at a piece of paper and being like, all right, like, this is, like, the one thing, sure. It's good enough. Right, exactly. So then I graduate and naturally the next step in our cultural kind of process is to get a big boy job, right? Right. So in that industry, it's pretty much like if you're working in media, you go to New York or LA. And re recently, Atlanta's been a big thing too, which is like a whole side thing, which is interesting. But for me, it was like New York City. I, it was, and that's another funny thought of like, I didn't do LA purely because I didn't want to have to deal with the traffic. Like that was literally why I dealt with the decision because I've like, in my head, I was like, that seems like such a waste of time. I want to be as efficient as possible, which again is like another very masculine mentality. Hyper-masculine. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to New York city. I can do everything in a minute and I will like work up the ranks. And then once I feel established in this industry, I can then move to LA and then do the big thing. So that was like my logic at the time. Okay. I go to New York and immediately, it's like a huge culture shock. It was the most difficult three years of my entire life so far and on yeah. some levels, other levels, spiritual levels, little different story, but like physicality, logistics, the actual like nature of socially, socializing, was like so difficult 
And I ended up getting like a minimum wage paying job as a production assistant at this random like underlying production company in the middle of Brooklyn. Like it was just very insane, very like toxic work culture. And just the fact that I survived was like, I don't even know how I did it. But I was hammered into my ego. I was making this happen. I was doing the thing regardless of what was going to happen. And I was absolutely miserable, like extremely miserable super depressed like almost immediately and didn't realize it so i did know that the job that i was working at was like not okay and i was like really focusing on like almost climbing up the ladder or like getting into the industry and like doing whatever i had to take at whatever costs regardless of my depression so i ended up quitting the job okay and and just by luck and nature i had a friend who connected me with someone else and i ended up landing this other job as a coordinator at a social media influence company and so i started to work in kind of more of an advertising side of things doing almost symbolic creation for brands on social media and it was really cool at the start and there was a huge element of shit in it and we would get creative and all these different things and i ended up there for about two and a half two years and I didn't like the job at, at the start. Like, I remember when the woman called me to hire me, she was like, oh, like, you got the job. And I kind of hesitated, just, like, intuitively. And she literally said on the call, she was like, are you sure you want to take it? And I was in New York and oh. needed it. And so I was like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, sorry, I was just, like, walking out of, like, a train station. Like, definitely want to take it. But in my heart, I knew I didn't want it. And so there was yeah. this huge conflict. Oh. And and like I said, like looking back, all of these things, like they start to tell the tale. But um, at the Absolutely. time, it was just really funny. And I got into it and I learned so much, right? It was great experience, but like my heart of hearts yeah. was miserable. And oh. yeah, so I put up with it and I did all these different things. It was like I was fighting tooth, tooth and nail. And so at this point, I'm going to kind of pause this whole trajectory and, and incorporate this idea of yoga, right? Because I'm a yoga instructor now. So in all yes. of this, right, I had been doing yoga just as a random ancillary thing. I found it in college. One of my friends kind of introduced it to me. Okay. Even at this point in time in the story, like it didn't really, it wasn't anything special to me. It was just kind of like a workout or a way to like release right. some energy. Um, so then I started to get depressed in this job and I really started to lean into yoga as a way to escape everything. It was like my one little island of sanity in this E of just like terrible. Yeah, exactly. So then things started to get a little bit more like crazy with COVID and the pandemic and all of this. And like, that was kind of the like breaking point. And I feel like it was the breaking point for a lot of people just kind of talking about their experience just from a like cultural, like spiritual evolution. Like that was a moment that was like necessary for all of us. And so I was very fortunate in my situation where I could keep my job and work from home and all of my responsibilities, like everybody paused their campaigns, like no one wanted to do anything. So I was essentially like I had like a three month paid vacation at home. And yeah, it was like, like, I'm very nice. fortunate and, and there were some difficulties of course, but like all things considered, right. like I was very much taking advantage of it and like understanding that I was fortunate in that and not like taking it for granted. Yep. 
So I really got into yoga at that point and like my own practice as opposed to going to different classes or online stuff, I started to play around with this idea of like, what would it be like if I did my own yoga without anybody else incorporating anything? And it almost immediately got into this meditative practice, which was so interesting because I have so high energy tendencies. (laughs) And I immediately started to like close my eyes and poses and just stay in them and meditate in it. And that was almost this like, and so like with life, I feel like there's an exponential gain and then there's a tipping point. And so there was a lot of slow moving elements with the yoga for years in my life. And then it started to get faster and faster and faster. And then boom, it clicked in this meditative moment of like, be a yoga instructor. That is what you need to do. Ooh, chills. Yeah, it was this. And I remember like, it was almost this like small whisper at first. And then after, like, the whispers kept staying, and it was always just a whisper. Like, it never got louder or louder, but it was still always there. And I just was able to hear it more and more. And Yes, because you tuned in. Exactly. And so at that point, I was starting to, like, look into programs and looking into different retreats. And I found one that I wanted, but then it was, like, the final battle, so to speak, with my ego, because I had created this whole career around going into media and like becoming a director. And like, I had put three years of painful work and regardless of being depressed, like right. I, I need to stay in this. But then it was like the other side of things and like in my heart it was whispering, but like, no, you don't. And so I was meditating right. one day and all of a sudden it just was like, my my ego lost the battle and I detached from it and I immediately got up from my meditation and I went to the retreat site and I booked my trip I paid for everything like submitted it all in that moment like immediate oh my I have chills I'm like full body goosebumps yeah and at the time I was almost like this is crazy but I know it's the right thing to do I still had the job and like I was like I'll figure out maybe I'll get paid time off or like I'll just quit the job like that doesn't matter like what matters is that this needs to happen for my life so oh god yeah yeah it was great and i did it and i I ended up essentially like landing on the idea of taking like a summer off so i quit the job i had savings saved up and i just took rest and i really spent a summer Mm. to reconnect with myself and at that point with my meditative practice and all these different things i knew more about my internal worlds and i was the feminine yeah and that was that's the funny part and we'll talk about this more but connecting with the feminine side of myself was almost like the first step in anything is is listening and then from there you can move into the active yeah yeah well there's a quote i don't know who said it but i've heard it throughout the years of my practice and it is the feminine is the way to the masculine because it is through the feminine where you connect so deeply with yourself and you receive that insight on what you are going to create. And then that masculine principle is like the visionary, the actionable, the discipline to get it done and to help cement it in the physical. So it's not sho- it's not shocking to me that you had to do that inward connection and take the rest. The passivity is the feminine to become active in your purpose and in your role. That's so beautiful. Absolutely. And and at the time, again, like this is all in hindsight. So at the time, I didn't really know what was happening. And then once I go to my yoga retreat, we it was very based in the chakra system. And and that was one thing that I was very fascinated by at the time. Um, I was doing my own studies of it and I, I wanted I almost needed to have a yoga retreat that focused on the chakras. Like that was something that was like part of the priorities. And do you do you? 
do you do kundalini yoga? Is that what your specialty is? It's hatha based. Uh, my instructor, uh, okay. I had two instructors and they were a couple. It was a beautiful representation of like the masculine and feminine energies. Mm -hmm. Like just seeing them incarnate and we'll talk about symbolism and role models later, but like that was a clear, like healthy display of how masculine and feminine can interact with each other. Um, so the um, Arjuna, the um, masculine kind of male energy, he studied Kundalini a little bit. And then Arpita was a little bit more meditative based. So they kind of incorporated a lot of different elements. Uh, but the main base yoga was Hatha yoga, which is okay. much more like you stay in a pose, you close your eyes, you see how you're feeling in that pose. It's not as um, common in at least American culture. Um, that it's a little bit more Eastern based, but vinyasa flow, which is a lot more common, is rooted, like the, the root of vinyasa comes from Hatha poses. So people know Hatha, they just might not know that they know Hatha. Correct, yeah, okay. So I'm at the retreat and we talk a lot about energies and my intention with that retreat was to figure out what my life's purpose was. And I know that's not, a light-hearted intention by any means but i was like you know yeah. we're going big like this is i'm spending this time to make sure i know what i want to do and yeah. we we talk a lot about the masculine and feminine energy and how all of that energy exists in everybody and that was one yes. really important thing um just to realize that even though i am a man i still have feminine energy and even though you are yeah. a woman you still have masculine energy it might lay itself differently and it might be in different ratios but it is still all yeah. together and contained there that was one big element and then we would meditate every single morning and we would do yoga every single morning and there was this moment in the middle of the retreat right so like and again, I, things compound. So you meditate once and that's awesome. If you meditate five times, that fifth meditation is incorporating all four of the ones before. So if you're thinking about we're meditating every single morning for 30 minutes to an hour and like that builds up and like halfway through, I had this like extremely visceral moment where I sunk so deep into my body that I felt like my whole body was the size of like the house I'm in right now. Like it was huge. And there was oh, this moment where I was like, I could move my hands to like confirm that I'm not this big, but I stopped myself. Cause one thing of meditation is like stillness. And like, once you move your physical body, it kind of like takes you out of it. So I refrained from this temptation and then sunk even deeper into this like extreme oh, visualization. And I had my entire, like my ego essentially like portrayed this vision I had of like, becoming a film director. And I vividly remember all of LA, like the whole skyline of Los Angeles, like was in front of me. And it like curled up into this like golden ball and just disintegrated in front of my eyes. <laughs> and I knew like there was not a single negative emotion. It was so matter of fact, and I was so okay with it. It was the most like peaceful, like destructive moment. And I was just like, yeah. I have my answer. Okay, like that is it. Holy shit. And that was the pretty much the crux of all of this and it's been never looking back since. Oh my gosh. That is such a life journey to get into purpose and to where you are. And I feel like that it, it just attests to like how how much you are supposed to be doing what it is that you are doing in in the present day. And I can only imagine, and I this is kind of where I want to start picking your brain, is you mentioned 
you know, having gone through depression and being very depressed in those beginning years of your quote, big boy job, right? Why do you think you ignored the signs of depression in, in that time period based off of like what you were going through, but also like of what it meant to be a man? Yeah, I think there was this huge kind of weight on my shoulders to do something with my life and like have this this um, something to show for it. Right. And I think there's an element to like the fact that I was so tied to photography and to like film where like your work is literally you're showing people your work like you visually see your ability. And Mm -hmm. so there was like underlying elements to that there where it's this this um, obligation almost to have something to show or that you're bringing something to the world and you can't just like be worthy as you are. You have to work for it. There was that element. And then there was this huge tie to my ego, almost this this um, and it, it gets into the wounding of it where it was almost like I needed to be seen and I wanted the fame of it all and I wanted to have this this big flashy title of director and I wanted to like tell these stories and of course it was rooted in this idea of like I I still want to change the world and I want to tell these stories that change people in in a good way but it Mm -hmm. came with this like wrapping of like look at me and it's all about me and this is my ego and I am sharing this with you because it is so beautiful and like et cetera et cetera right So it was like a seeking of validation from the people outside of you. Yes, but I wasn't listening to my heart, which was saying something completely different. And that dissonance was where the depression came in because I was doing all of these things and I was climbing up a corporate ladder and I was doing it all, which was so outside of my personality. And like, it just was so against my morals that it just didn't make sense, but I was so gripped to my ego that it didn't matter. And why do you think you were so gripped to your ego? Like, I, obviously we go through all of this social programming and cultural programming, but why do you feel like you couldn't listen to your heart in that time? Because you obviously got pushed to it and you listened to your heart now and you're following that. Why do you feel like you were so resistant to that? What were you afraid of? That's a great question. Um, and I feel... That- this is where it's it'll be helpful to kind of integrate this like masculine framework into things because the ego from when you get into psychology i think people give the ego a huge a bad rap because it's almost Mm -hmm. like oh you're so egotistical but it is there to help protect us right and it's this it is this this identity that we create is a way for us to kind of confine our psyche in a way that is manageable and understandable to our conscious mind yes um, the, the one framework that I work with with masculinity specifically is this four-tiered pyramid and it breaks apart into the king, the magician, the warrior, and the lover. And these are four mm-hmm. archetypes that create the sides of this pyramid. I, I'm going to try to be concise with all of it because it gets super complicated super quickly. But there is this idea, there's two levels. There's the boy psychology and then there's the man psychology. So the, the boy psychology, there is the divine child and the king. Those are the two sides of things. The divine child, and, and to kind of preface all of this, all of these archetypes are important to us and they're necessary. And 
they come with a shadow aspect and of course understanding all of this allows you to incorporate it into yourself and then you can for example answer the question of why i was tied to the ego right is mm -hmm. seeing yeah. oh this shadow side was rearing its head or i neglected this side of myself or even my parents neglected this and then it turned into my own right. self-neglect okay the divine child is this inner essence in all of us that is connected to the divine. And you've talked about this before. I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts where we are connected to this. The issue is, and this is a little bit more in terms of like the rearing of your children, is that if you coddle your child too much and you tell them that they are too perfect, then they grow into what is called the high chair tyrant. And that is this, this kid who feels entitled because they are divine, right? Like we are all divine, but yeah. entitled to everything without putting any work in whatsoever. And yeah. as we all know, the universe does not work that way. So it no. creates this grandiose version of yourself, which as a child, right, it can be maybe a little cute once and then it gets annoying. But then when we start to get older and that energy matures, it becomes very, very damaging. So yes. that, that is one side of things. The other side is the weakling prince, which is this idea of if somebody critiques their child and says that they aren't good enough, right? They don't recognize the divine at all. That weakling right. prince turns into the victim mentality of I'm not good enough and the world is against me, which is okay. really on the same, it's the same coin. It's just two sides because as you start to get older, you start to notice that the weakling prince who is a victim is still working in this entitled place because they think that, oh, life needs to be easy, but everyone's attacking me and they don't take responsibility for their own actions. So, right. And these, the, these two sides of the coin is really, um, you know, the weakling prince would be that wounded feminine and then the tyrant would be the wounded masculine. That's what they would evolve into. And because everyone has both of these energetic polarities and oftentimes they are both wounded at some point in life that they need balancing and healing, that, that creates so much tension within the being and within the ego. Definitely. And so when it does progress into that man psychology, you get the king mm -hmm. in its fullness. Okay. And everybody yeah. is this king, right? And this is the point where we need to recognize that. But also, and as parents, you need to kind of knock your kids down a little bit, but also recognize you are important. And then it grows into this place of the king is this, if you think about like in the past and in, in um, the Bible, for example, like I said, I grew up Catholic, so that's like a lot of the archetypes that I see. You have King David who takes care of his peoples, right? And he takes them out of suffering. So the place okay. of the king allows, allows this masculine to be the ordering nature in the chaos, right? It kind of contains boundaries. Yes. Civilization can then thrive under this order, right? Yes. And there is this also this side of benevolence, right? Where the king recognizes each person for their worth and their talents and their gifts and, and sees that. And so if you have this like full, fully realized king inside yourself, you can recognize the beauty of other people. If you don't have that, if you're still this entitled, self-inclined tyrant, so to speak, then you neglect the people, you don't acknowledge any of their gifts, and then it becomes this other side of um, quote-unquote order where you become controlling. And then Restriction. it into some very dangerous things like, uh, the Holocaust is a huge example, right, of, of yeah. one person's ideology controlling the world, right? 
So yes. unchecked, yeah. it can go to complete extremes. Um, so that's that's one of the many things. Um, and and moving moving into the other archetypes. And again, I don't want to get too into it, but it'll start to all tie together because again, the masculine is one identity that breaks apart. Um, then you have the precocious child. And this is the curious in all of us, right? So this is the adventurer, the 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 kid who asks all the why questions, right? They want to know everything. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> oh, same. Like to yeah. a T, I was the like, why this? Why that? And it's cute. Again, all these yeah. cute in moderation. And then it builds into something a little bit more dangerous. Um, but again, this, this precocious child is there for us to be curious, to learn about the world around us. Mm -hmm. It can become unchecked if it's an active side. You have the trickster or the prankster or the know-it-all. And this is the person who, if you look around, and the more I talk about these kind of boyhood psychologies, you might even notice that all of what we label as like toxic masculinity is actually just like boy psychology. So we might not live in a world of, of men or a, they, there was this one quote, it was like, we don't live in a patriarchy, we live in a purarchy, which is a, a world um, ruled by boys as opposed to men. Oh, it's so interesting that you say that. I wrote a piece of poetry that um, I ended up sharing a couple of weeks ago on my Instagram. I'll send it to you because I literally write about it. I, I basically talk about like in, in a world where um, women's voices are like loud, um, it's the men that I feel sorry for. And I talk about why. And in the end, I say it's because it's it's this world has been built off of men who were raised by boys who were never taught to receive and give nurturing love. Spot on too, to this whole thing. And like, we'll circle back to this, I'm sure. But this idea of yeah. like the boy psychology, it's it, it changes this idea of like toxic masculinity to this like wounded masculine, right? And if you yeah. start to see all of these different like examples of this like guy who cheats on his girlfriend or like this this guy, boss who is super uh, dictator like like you can start to see them as like little boys who just never received what they needed in their childhood and never were shown what a true man is in that place yes exactly yeah so so the precocious child turns into the magician and the magician is like this, and we live in the age of the magician. It's the technological age, mm. all these advancements, this okay. wisdom, the internet, all of those things. That, okay. that kind of comes with this power, this strength of the observing ego. The, the magician mm. is able to detach itself and observe mm. things from a very objective standpoint. And this is yeah. a really important archetype to have in terms of detaching yourself from the ego. And... It, it almost allows you to see your emotions come up without being enveloped by them or acting out, right? So rage is so important, but it's not important to act out in the rage as the rage happens. Absolutely. So the magician is the one who can distance themselves. I love that. Do you feel, and I, this is a very genuine question, um, do you feel as though men can even because I'm, I'm a woman, so for me, it's like I've always, I've always known what I'm feeling, whether I like push it aside, honor it, react or respond. Do you feel like there maybe is this challenge with men even being able to label a feeling because they are taught, like you guys are taught that you don't have them other than your rage and 
craving for power quote you know like do you feel like that's an issue yeah and we'll get into this a little bit more with the warrior archetype but there is this this um dual-sided issue with that because we tell boys that they aren't either aren't supposed to express their emotions or that they don't have them and then on the right. other side of things that they need to be strong and they need to be firm and like hold on to that like bigger masculine whatever it is and so yeah. in that because the warrior energy and and the hero which is the child form of that is very um detached and very disciplined so it's very much like whatever i have to do i'm going to make it happen so when you tell them don't feel your emotions or you don't have those emotions they immediately tap into this powerful energy which can be for good and they they power through the fact that they are sad and they power through the fact that they are depressed and they completely shut it out don't even listen to it and make all of these decisions based on this like innate drive and it has no feedback with what's actually happening in their system and so it's so wow. detached and this is kind of to answer your question of like why i was holding on to the ego is like i was yeah. so in this like and it wasn't even the warrior energy at that point it was the hero energy of just like conquering like i made this objective and i'm going to be a director in la and i'm going to conquer that it's like all or nothing mentality. Exactly. And it got me so far, right? Again, all of these archetypes are necessary to, for certain reasons, but it was at yeah. a cost of another archetype. Like I was totally ignoring the magician inside of me and only right. listening to this boy hero who thought he knew right. it all. So wow. that's kind of as you, and again, there's still two more archetypes that we can kind of touch on, but you can start Please. to see how they're all connected. And so are all of these archetypes meant to go from their like wounded polarity and work in harmony? Like, are they all supposed to be present in the definition of a man? Yes. So I, and I almost okay. want to like hold back on answering so that you can understand each individually Please. and then you can see how they all interact together. Um, sure. But complete, because again, there are like four sides to a pyramid. So when you take a okay. step back and you look at the whole pyramid, you see, oh, this is what my masculinity is in its fullness. So you have okay, the precocious child and the magician who are like the thinker, the observer. You have the divine right. king who is the the connection to that source, right? And this is, that's where the, the king, just to go back to that, like he is the one who is almost like the head of this, this um, what do you call it? Like a, a boardroom, right? And the mm -hmm. king is the one who's kind of like, he's the head chair, but he has all of these other uh, confidants, the magician who kind of tells him this is the wise thing to do. And then you have the warrior who's a little bit more like, well, we actually have to do this action. And then you have the lover who is like, I just want to experience life and play. So you can start yeah. to see that they com converse with each other. So. Okay. The hero, and this, I want to like kind of touch upon the hero because this is like, to me, the most dangerous archetype because we glorify the hero and we don't is recognize. Is it like the God complex? Yeah, it's, but it's almost mm. beyond that. The God complex is a little bit more the divine child, but like mixed into the hero, it can okay. become like very dangerous but the hero is this this thing that we glorify these days if you watch like any movie whatsoever it's like the main character is this hero who's conquering this quest and at the end he has the damsel in distress and he saves her and yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. happily ever after but they don't talk yeah. about the marriage 
right? Like they just get to the mm. point where they get married. And then it comes oh, to the point. Oh, that's so true. It comes to the point where this man who had this quest, he's conquered it. He doesn't know what to do in a marriage because he's still a boy. And he has <gasps> he has no other thing to conquer. And then it becomes this like extremely difficult relationship because he just does not know how to deal with the feminine. And that is part of the biggest issues with Yeah, yeah. You you just blew my mind. That makes I'm connecting so many dots on like why there would be such dysfunction in marriages. But like, oh my God, like infidelity, lack of emotional reception and expression. Uh, the boy who doesn't do anything around the house because his mom coddled him and never taught him how to do the dishes or do the laundry. Like so many things that would come into this. Um, I know you, you used a different word other than patriarchal, but it's like this wounded boy showing up in the marriage being like, I thought I was a man, but like... But now this is something I've never seen before in my life. Like, yeah. And it's not always oh the case, but like, again, you have to understand that like we inherit these behaviors from our parents and they yes. inherit from their parents. So it's no, it's nobody's fault. It's just that we don't recognize that the things that are happening are wrong. Right? Like, we don't have the right framework. Yeah, especially because society, who is the, I want to say, the founder of all of these unfortunate, wounded, you know, energies and systems and beliefs and structures, is is not... Um, is not a conducive system to healing either, right? Because it still wants to oppress. And it's like, we were kind of talking before we started recording of like, there's this like hyper feminist, you know, fuck men system. And it's like, well, that is not conducive to the men who are healing nor to the women who are healing or to anyone who is healing, right? right? So it's like, like, it's no one's fault. And I feel like it's so important. And I teach this in the work that I do with my clients as well. It's not to place blame on to parents and the generations prior to us, but to take responsibility and accept that they are just wounded. They did the best that they could. And now that we, as the black sheep or as, you know, the individual in the family who is conscious of these patterns have to forgive and lend compassion and then make the changes so that the cycle does not continue. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I always kind of frame with anybody I'm working with too is like the bitter, the bitter reality that like you are not responsible for the fucked upness that is your life, but you have to take responsibility to fix it. And it's this yes. like double edged, yes. like you inherited it and it's not your fault, but it is still your right. responsibility. And that is mm -hmm. just what life is giving you as this challenge. And if you accept that, if you take the responsibility, it becomes an extremely rewarding journey of growth and you become this powerful being. But you have to yeah. first recognize that it isn't fair, that you aren't the victim and that you can take responsibility of it. Absolutely. It's a gift in, in the end of it. It's a gift. And working through that, of course, I don't say it as like directly, right? We like are gentle with ourselves, but it still yeah. needs to have that weight of work, right? It's the human experience. I mean, it's what we sign up for, right? So it's like, that's that's the purpose of it, but it's hard nonetheless. And and going back to this this hero, tell me a little bit more on on how this is so prevalent. Why do you think it's so prevalent in society? Like why why are we romanticizing the hero saving the damsel in distress and conquering? Like why are we doing that? Yeah. So and this kind of gets into the lover as like a, a complementary archetype, I guess anti archetype of the other three. Um, and before I get there, I do want to talk about the warrior a bit because I find that. 
like I said, the hero is the problem area that we kind of see a lot more in society, but the warrior is a beautiful energy. And and it's it's a flip of the coin because like we we glorify the hero, but then we like almost villainize the warrior because the warrior is warrior is very destructive. It's a very aggressive energy. But if you think of it from like okay. the king's perspective, right? If you have this like beautiful like utopian world or not even utopian i don't like utopias because i feel like they're too perfect but this like idea yeah. of like almost like the promised land there's this just peace that reigns mm -hmm. if you don't have a warrior tribe to protect it from these outside chaos then the peace will crumble right so the warrior is yeah. so powerful and it's right and if you can tap into that energy this idea of like this discipline and so actually i'm kind of getting off on a tangent because to answer your question more the hero's um the hero's place in this archetype is if you look at all of the like little boy energies like you have the divine child to know that we are special and unique in our greatness and then you have the precocious child to to show us this like curiosity of the world the hero is designed to pull us away from the essentially and i don't want to get too into the psychology of it but it's almost like the Oedip oedipal complex of like the connection with the mother the hero oh is designed right and we're not going to go into that but like no not today <laughs> the hero is designed to detach from this feminine right so as a boy gets older if you watch it's like through the stages of development at first they cling to the mother and then as they get older they start to like venture out but they still look back and see if mom's watching and make sure that they're safe and then the next step is to break free completely and get that independence if that hero didn't exist then we would never break free of the feminine and be this full masculine and uh, okay. to do that to get through that we need initiation and this is something that is lacking in like this is the biggest thing out of all of that I'm saying. Like, we don't have an initiation for men to go from boyhood to manhood. And we might, in some regards, like, you have the fraternities in college or, like, all of these different tribal elements. Yeah. But they're, but that, and I want to, like, caveat that that's not a healthy masculine representation exactly. you have to understand we're in a boy culture so and that's right, right. that's where you have to like or you can almost frame it in the sense of like oh look at all these boys like they're hurting like they're trying to find this tribe but they don't have a man to lead it so they're just doing all these things that hurt everybody but at the end of the day all they're longing for is this like king energy that is going to hold this order but so so essentially and again like this is fascinating to me i can tell that you're you're really I'm, in it i'm literally mind blown guys if you could see my face on our zoom call right now like my i'm just in a state of shock because it makes I, the perspective is making so much sense to me like i'm so glad we're having this conversation yes yes and so the death of the hero is the moment in this initiation and it's if you look at like shamanistic cultures like they literally send boys out into nature alone and like almost literally kill them and then like the shaman brings <laughs> them back to life and they go through this deep initiation they touch death and they realize the fragility of life and in that the warrior is born and this warrior energy is this Holy disciplined God. man this warrior energy is this man who is so mindful that he knows his weaknesses and that is where the hero and the warrior differ is the hero doesn't know his weaknesses and because of that he causes oh, all of this like excess 
problem, right? It's the one who's like, I'm gonna conquer it all without knowing his weakness. He gets his friends in trouble. They get caught in this like huge charade and then everybody loses yeah. in the end. But the warrior is the one who knows, no, I'm not supposed to do that because I can't do it. It's almost like the hero is that like wounded part of the masculine that is like possessive and controlling, like of everything and everyone. And then the warrior is the protector of like, you know, being so connected to the self because I think, and we're going to get into the, the new definition and redefining masculinity and what it means to actually be a man in this conversation. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do feel like male energy and like the masculine principle is the protector. It is like, it's the guardian kind of energy. So I feel like that's that change. Yes. And that is like one thing that is almost like, when you get into conversations with like more of the like feminist side of things which like some have their merit and some it can kind of get dicey is this idea yeah. of like the man as controlling but then there's also on the flip side this almost and i i don't know for sure obviously i'm not a woman but there seems to be this like attraction to the controlling nature or almost like if a man comes in and says this is the like this is like what we're gonna do there are certain situations where a feminine likes that like they like the order of it so there is it's, that yeah. like it's and again there's a fine line but it's the difference between like i am going to control out of this insecurity and then this i'm going to control because i need to protect this this feminine i need to create the boundaries yeah. so that she is safe yes. enough to be herself in her full fullness. Yeah, touching on that, I, I love that conversation because it's so it's so big on social media and it's all over my for you page on TikTok. And it's like, I think control is like a control is like an intense word. I feel like I feel like because the masculine is all about creating structure, right? It's all about creating a sacred container and creating a path and avenue for the feminine, both within himself, the masculine, um, and also with the, you know other partners and people in their lives. So it's like, yeah. And I know for myself as a woman and someone who's very dominantly in her feminine, it's like I show up a lot in my masculine in my work. Like I'm a leader, I'm a guide. Like I'm very much in that. So I think a lot of women who are in these like CEO positions and in these strong masculine positions. When we are in partnership, and I'm going to speak from a heteronormative perspective because that's the only perspective I can give you, is that, you know, like I, when I think of my partner, it's like I really like being able to soften. Like, don't ask me where we're going for dinner or where I want to go. Give me options or tell me where we're going because then, like, I'm making decisions all day long. Like, I want to be soft. I want to be in my soft feminine energy with you. So it's like, I get what you're saying with that. It's absolutely like a, a space for, for women not necessarily women, but for anyone who's maybe more in that feminine energy to soften up. But then there's that polarity with a wounded masculine where it's like, no, we have to do this and not listening to the nose or the boundaries that the feminine energy will give and saying, no, I don't feel like going out. Like, You know what I mean? Like whatever it is. Yeah. And, and that is like why I like to break all of these down because then you can start to like build it up again and be like, oh, like even if you are a woman being like, whoa, I, I identify with this like warrior energy. Like I go out yeah. and I get things done and I like that in certain ways, but I don't like that in other ways. Like if I'm at home, like I don't want to think like, so that is such it a literally. great way to like <laughs> look into like your own identity and be like, what do I like? And like, where do I want to like channel my masculine? Where do I want to channel my feminine? And like make yes. it playful, you know, like these are all there to yeah. help you at the end. 
I love this so much. Yes. Oh, all right, keep going with these archetypes. I'm yes. Just, I'm in love with this conversation. I know. Like, they're, <laughs> it's fascinating to me. Um, I'm, try, I'm just like looking at my notes because I want to make sure I'm covering everything. Oh, the one big thing with the warrior hero and a little bit even with the king and the magician is there is this element of detached or this this and this is like a big um part of that fine line is that if you think of a warrior or you think of like the the masculine energy in its like fullness of this man who let's say like i love muhammad ali i think he's like this great figure of like what you can do with your body on a like more physical level like if you are that type like you need to be disciplined and you need to show up every single day no matter what yes and that is this very powerful warrior energy right and there is this detached nature to that right where if you wake up and you're like i just don't want to get out of bed it's that detached moment that says but you're going to get out of bed anyway like regardless yes. of what you feel and you need the magician yeah. to identify that space between how you feel and what your objective is you need the warrior yeah. to be detached enough to get up and do the thing so you start to see yeah. that there is this common theme with these these archetypes of like almost detachment which okay. you can probably identify in a lot of boys and men of being like you are so detached from me right now or you're so detached like so there's those things that come in and that's where the lover comes into play because the lover is is almost that. like the exact opposite of the other three for better or for worse and right. if you if you look at the the boy side of things this is again we're not going to get too deep into it but it's defined as the Oedipal child right this this whole Oedipus <laughs> complex mythology and if you it, essentially the quick short version is there's this myth of Oedipus who essentially is fated to marry his mother and kill his father and he does everything in his power not to and ends up marrying his mother and killing his father there's the Electra complex for women as well yeah, yeah, which I I'm, yeah. we can talk about it another day because I'm curious of that. But for sure. it's, it's so yeah. it kind of breaks down, and a lot of like these archetypes come from um, Freudian and Carl Jung, like a lot of these like symbolic psychologies. So the Oedipal yeah. child, in like a broad sweep, is this connection to the feminine energy. It's almost like the door of the masculine into the feminine, or if it were like a spectrum, that's okay. kind of where things start to like blend towards the more feminine side. And again, necessary, right? We all need to honor the feminine in us. And with feminine and the femininity, you get the beauty of the world, right? And Mm -hmm. so there was this, it's kind of a side tangent, but in um, my yoga retreat, we talked a lot about Hinduism as like a baseline for the the like the um, concepts and the philosophies of yoga. And it's very based in Hinduism. And so there is this, and a lot of the Hinduistic gods are um, concepts, right, or archetypes, and they have, like, two sides to a coin. So, because it has this, like, idea that, like, everything is one, but then we can separate it and then, like, identify with it, and then it's also the same thing, but it's different, but it's the same. It's polarity. It's energetic polarity in the quantum field. It's the masculine and the feminine. Like, exactly. Yes. Exactly. So one of the yeah. the archetypes is this Shiva Shakti. Um, archety- I was just thinking that. Yeah. So the <laughs> Shiva is this like material. That's like the material world. That's the masculine. It's the physicality. The Shakti energy yeah. is the feminine. And it's almost like, and I, like ladies don't take this the wrong way, but it's almost the like chaos of it all. Like this like 
crazy yeah. electric energy that just brings the vibrancy of life. It's it's color, it's emotion, it's all of these different like very um, like n not contained energies. And so th yeah. the two of them together create existence itself. So yes. when you when you look at the Oedipal child, it is this this fascination with that Shakti energy or this like feminine energy. So again, very important. Okay. But then it turns into almost like uh, if they don't have the hero that can disconnect you with your mother or the feminine energy when you're a child, you become en engrossed in it and you become this like mama's boy slash like Don <laughs> Juan who like and and I want to like label the Don Juan as like not necessarily like this like um this cheater in a relationship, but more so this man who doesn't want to settle down and just is so in love with women and finds the beauty of them that he can't just pick one, he needs them all. And so yeah. in some levels, it is it is this, this fascination with beauty, but it doesn't have the order of the magician and the king and the, the warrior. So it's not contained. Right. And it, it kind of bleeds into that like femininity needing the container, right? So yes. as it grows into the lover, and this is kind of where the beauty of that polarity exists with these archetypes is that the lover is this like playful energy and this like, oh, like we don't need rules. We don't need order. Let's just go and like love everybody. And it turns almost mm -hmm. in the, the, the shadow side and the, the active form is the addict this person who is so encapsulated by the physicality of the sensuality that they get so enveloped by it that they can't control themselves. And that's where Ooh. all of these really big issues with sexuality come in and, and non-consent and all these things come from this like, almost like it's you're possessed by the sensuality so much so that you need it, even though it will destroy you in the end. So. And then add, yeah, and like adding in on top of that, the I forget which archetype you said it was, but like the entitled. Oh yeah, the like the high chair tyrant. Yeah, that's fucking dangerous. And so you can even see that like yeah, the the archetypes in their fullness they all complement each other, but you can get the shadow sides working together too to create an extremely manipulative boyfriend who is emotionally abusive or, or and, otherwise or otherwise or like just as an example of like the magician and like the warrior energy kind of like coming together to like create this container of just not so good, right? Fuck. Yeah, like you don't like so, but you have to be, you have to be aware of it, and you have to recognize that part of yourself and integrate it. Because yeah. it's not a question of like, do I or do I not have it? It's how does it manifest in your own psyche, mm -hmm. and how can I integrate yes. that, and how can I balance these energies to then right. give my inner child what it needs without making it too grandiose, and how do I yes. like. Um, satisfy the lover's need for like sensuality without going overboard and so you start mm. to see that these archetypes and we'll kind of talk about like how I deal with it with clients in a bit but like you can start to see how they can be this framework of looking inward and doing that inner work to then step into that full masculine energy that we need in today's society to then create yes. a world that is is beautiful and vibrant right and contained so that there's not as much chaos. <laughs> there's still some fun involved, but. Yeah, absolutely, of course. So 
using these archetypes in your own life experience as a man, what is the true definition of masculinity? How should we be defining genuine masculinity? Yes. So this is the the biggest kind of moment. And I kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of like a cultural approach to it. But this this need for an initiation for one, that's like yeah, an that's important, to me. important um, like milestone in the development of the psyche is having this this break free from childhood, right? So that's one thing. And in that process of initiation, you come, you, you're confronted with humility and this extremely dual-sided recognition of your weaknesses and then also understanding that you need to ask for help to then learn how to merge all of this together to be the in all of in all encompassing this like royal king and, and this is the biggest thing is that when you bring the magician into play to detach yourself from the ego that element when applied to the king energy allows you to detach yourself from the grandiose and recognize this king exists in me and i am not the king i am at service to him and what he brings to my inner world. And when I can oh. serve him, my warrior knows where to step in and where to take control. And it's under the reign of this divine energy that is innately, that is what told me, be a yoga instructor. It was this king right. energy I channeled into it and I knew that I needed to be at service to it instead of identifying with my ego and becoming this like, director, king, self-involved, right. like, so when you can detach yourself from it and find that humility and incorporate this divinity in a way that is serving and loving and creative and all of these other archetypes, you start to see that the masculine is really just a servant for your higher power. Which is the feminine. Indeed. So that with the, the masculine is supportive of the feminine within and without. And it's, it's that link and listening to the feminine side and then being yeah. able to put all of those acts forward, you can create the life of your dreams. Oh, absolutely. Without question. That's literally, that's energetic. When you're tapped into that, like it, it just all, opportunities present themselves, synchronicities. Like I can name so many different experiences where when I'm like deeply meditative, like things happen literally later that day that are just so like in order that there's no questioning it oh absolutely how would you recommend for men who are listening to this and they're like okay chris this is great i understand this the logic is there the analytics are there um how do i start this journey of connecting inward what would you say to them absolutely i so and that's the one thing that i've found is like my specialization as i'm getting more involved in the energetics of things is that Though my philosophy towards, I want to say like meditation, yoga, and the body is that the body is a gateway for all of these things. So I always okay. love to start because it's the easiest thing for us to wrap our heads around because you can literally look down and touch it, right? So you can be like, right. this is my hand, this is my leg, like from a very logistical standpoint. And there's this practice in meditation where to kind of almost like pre-meditate or set yourself into it is to start by sitting still and you just close your eyes and you slowly lift one hand, you flip it over, 
you put you flip it back over and you slowly lower and then you lift your other hands mm. and it's called hand walking and so okay. what you do is you're starting to prime your body to go inward and just to notice like the that. sensations of the physical and then once you notice the physical then you can go a little bit deeper go into your breath and then start to breathe into that and get into the parasympathetic nervous system and start to sink even deeper. Yes. And then you can go into a little bit more of that energetic space and see, okay, what are my emotions feeling like? And then you might be like, oh, I have a lot of anxiety today, but then you can detach yourself a little bit and just recognize the anxiety is there. And then you can go a little deeper and then you start to get into the really juicy subconscious areas of things where maybe some past traumas come up or maybe some memories of your childhood where you start to recognize, oh, these patterns are happening. Or even maybe the magician shows up and he starts to speak to you in his archetype. So that's kind of the process that I take is, is slowly start with the body and start with okay. what you're comfortable with. And then you can start to move a little bit more into the psyche and then it gets a little deeper and then you can really confront these things and start to be more consciously aware of what's going on under the surface. That's beautiful. What about the men who are going to feel this internalized sense of shame for the emotions that they encounter as they go inward? What's your advice for them? Yeah, shame is a really difficult one to deal with. It's a, a very heavy energy. Um, yeah. And I would say that the biggest thing, and I always try to frame this before we even get into it, and I, I know a couple things, but this idea of um, lack of judgment or just, and again, it's a very, uh, meditation is very magician energy. It's very observing. So being detached in a way that is loving and non-judgmental. So I kind of frame it so that if, if shame did come up, you at least have that precursor. And then right. uh, the other thing with it is that shame kind of comes with other emotions. There's sadness there. There might be anger in the fact that you maybe did something you didn't want to do and you're frustrated about it. And so at that point, identifying those and trying to parse out the motion more to understand what is happening. And then maybe if it is sadness, like trying to let that manifest physically, like cry, like if it comes up. Mm -hmm. And again, like there is no one way that shame appears. So right. it, it's, it's a very nuanced system. But I would say for anybody listening, like if you do find that you're in this practice on your own or shame comes up, the the moment that it happens is it's tricky because you want to separate yourself from it but then you also want to feel it um and there's this practice where you can almost and you have to almost like begin the practice before knowing consciously like if shame comes up just in naturally it's harder to address because you almost have to pre preface it with these like steps but you almost imagine you are sitting in an observing room or whatever room you're in and then there's like a table or a chair in the center of this room and of course your eyes are closed and whenever an emotion appears you use this magician energy to label that emotion or create like a physical object to represent that emotion so if it's like anger maybe oh. it's like a really like heavy red block with like sure. edges around it like whatever it is like just identify yeah. it and then be like okay that is a red block and and it is heavy and then like maybe from the anger you start to see the sadness and so like this like ice cube is on top of it and it starts to melt onto mm -hmm. the rock like whatever it is and then yeah. you really just like 
um, physicalize these emotions and you're able to just almost see them matter of factly. And okay. then it allows you to, if it is this melting block of ice of sadness, right? Because you're cold and you're super pissed off and your body tenses up. And then you're like, oh, it's literally over anger and anger is heating me up and I'm melting and your body starts to tense a little bit. And then the tears maybe start to form a little bit and then encouraging that to happen and let yourself melt. And then and they right. they say, I, I forget where I read it, but it's like emotions only last about six minutes. So if you can <laughs> let I could be wrong about the timing, but I read somewhere and I've never forgot it that emotions last for it's definitely less than 10 minutes, I'm sure. So if you yeah. can like accept that fact and then be like, okay, this is a really big emotion. I feel the surge. I feel the wave. Like I, this is like, like especially with like bigger emotions of like deeper grief. Like if you're like, okay, it's only gonna last for six minutes if I let it happen and I let it flow through me and I let my body be the conduit for this energy. And then mm. it just flows yeah. and it maybe sucks and like you are, literally and i've been on my floor sobbing in this like most painful heavy sob way before and it, yeah. it it hits you and there's this moment where you're allowing yourself to feel it on every single fiber of your being that is so liberating and you can almost experience and this is almost the lover energy at this point where you're experiencing the sensuality of life and like the yes. being a human being is experiencing any emotion. So there is right. this little silver lining of like beauty and this grief or sadness or yes. anger. And then it passes yeah. through you. And you usually, at least for me, I feel like I'm a little balloon that I'm floating just a little lighter. <laughs> I like that. And then from there, you get to this practice of like releasing these things and then they can just be off and and you're free of it and it liberates you and subsequently that releases the shame as well because there's not this pent-up energy that's being like suppressed inside yes i i will say with shame specifically like guilt and shame are really difficult to deal with because they come back and they it's like almost like a cycle mm. and so like i said like sadness in its specific specificity is like a single singular emotion shame right. is like almost like a buildup of a ton of different emotions that you've repressed so yeah. you might release one little element of sadness and then like three weeks later you feel shame for the same thing and you might be thinking like oh my gosh i thought i already cleared this and liberated it but it's really right. a compound emotion that's rooted okay. in your conditioning and how your parents treated you and like so many deep psychological wounds that at that point right. you have to kind of sit down and and i'll talk with clients after the fact of like okay like where where did you feel this in your body like what was coming up what memories are related to it and you can start to identify on a more like logistical like conscious logic level what this framework mm -hmm. of shame is so that when it does happen you're prepared you have the tools you're ready to right. take that warrior energy and be like all right like let's brace up we'll put our armor on and we're gonna fight this but it does yeah, take nice. a little bit more nuanced kind of inner it's work complex. and yeah and archetype conversations and so right. and that's actually okay. another point that i wanted to bring up as a tool is to literally talk to the archetypes and if you get into mm. a practice of meditation 
like almost ask like if you feel like there's this pattern that's happening in your life and you want to figure out like what where is this coming from inside of me just ask into the ether like who is there like who is this and if it no, no one responds or nothing happens like keep asking and all of a sudden like the the um, manipulative side of the magician will come up and be like oh like you've been like haha and it's gonna be like a trickster so it's gonna kind of like taunt you but if you talk to it as it is and work through it and be like okay like I know that you're trying to trick me but like let's like actually be real here or like maybe bring the king energy in to like kind of oversee it then you can start to see like okay the trickster is like actually trying to say something like let me listen to him and it's like oh like you're neglecting like the playfulness side of things like and there was like one example they made and it's kind of funny so I'm going to say it here but it's almost like you haven't gotten laid in like three years like you're not allowing yourself to tap into the like lover energy like and I feel neglected and like I want to play and it's like well yeah but right. I need to work to pay the bills and da 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 and it's like well why don't we compromise here and so you can like have these conversations okay. with the archetypes to be like what am I neglecting in myself or okay. like, why am I depressed? Oh, it's because I've been so in my warrior energy that I haven't listened to my heart that's saying like my lover is nowhere to be seen in my career. And I'm just right. going for this director role because my ego needs some sort of validation, right? Right. So okay. it's a really good framework to have as like a baseline to start to investigate, right? And see like, and again, it's not what is right and what is wrong it's where like where is this happening inside of me mm. and we all have like it that. right so just knowing that it's there and incorporating it and loving all of these parts and knowing that they're just little wounded boys running around trying to make the most of things it makes it a little bit easier yeah and i think that comes back to of like recognizing that those wounded boys within the mind and the psyche are not your fault but they are your responsibility to heal absolutely and then when you do you are accessing these these very ancient energy types that we have and the power that come with it. Oh, yes. The beautiful power of the masculine, like so powerful, so divinely powerful. It really is. It really is. Honestly, I, I love men. I think, thank you, you guys, I think you guys are great. <laughs> um, how does your methodology with, you know, meditation and yoga and personal training, how, how are you able to help men or the masculine energy connect more deeply and get into that healed energy? Yeah, so I deal a lot with kind of these elements that I've been thinking about or talking about, but um, I also deal with the chakra system as the main focal point. And if you kind of like look through all these archetypes, like they tie into specific chakras and you can start yeah. to see different balance, it, balances or imbalances of for example, the third chakra, the solar plexus and the fire energy is very like warrior-esque and very like get it done. And so you and what I do is and again, I like to start with the body and move into these energetic systems. So it gives that framework of being like, OK, like you are dealing with certain like repressed sexual uh scopes in a relationship right and you have the improper framing of what a relationship should look like so let's look at the the um, sacral chakra let's look at the root chakra we'll start at the base and see what comes up in your body maybe it's tied to some sort of like familial thing and then we'll get right. into a meditation and i'll sink you into that space and then maybe bring in this this archetypal conversation and it is very intuitive i will say that and that was the biggest thing I got from 
my yoga retreat was touching base with that intuition and touching base with the feminine side of listening yeah, yeah. to that. And so it's it's hard to say there's one way to go about it. It's really right. tied to every single person. So that might look like a meditative element, but it might also be like no meditation whatsoever. I have my client go to the closest nature preserve and walk barefooted in the sand and just like yeah. have that be the practice because they are so disconnected from their body that they need to just feel what it feels like to walk on their feet or whatever it is so it it can be so and that's why i love the chakra system is because Mm -hmm. it is so um all-encompassing right like it's all of the elements that exist in this universe and more so you can find that it could be going out dancing one night or it could be like cooking your favorite meal or singing your favorite song or if you hate to sing maybe it's like playing an instrument you like like there is always a way it just depends on who you are and what is your unique expression and what do you need in that to find that balance and come back to that inner divine i love that I love that. I think having a personalized way of going about the healing is so necessary because everyone's at a different space in their journey, right? A different space, a different time. And I think meditation, especially for someone who has been so disconnected from their emotions or feeling like they're not allowed to feel or whatever it is that they are harboring within would be so intimidating. Oh, absolutely. And I've had certain clients I've worked with where we'll get into get into a meditation and Um, like it might be a quick 10 minute meditation not even and we'll come out of it and they're in tears and they literally are like I immediately thought of this trauma I had when I was in like seventh grade and and so at that point it almost tells me like they're and I don't want to say they're not ready but they need to attack like what I'm trying to say, they need to like attract or move into that space in a different angle before they go in from a cerebral way. Maybe they need to learn how to regulate their body a little bit more and find safety in the physicality of their body before they take this mental journey into the psyche, which it's a very, and I always almost say this, it's like the most difficult journey that you can take in this life is to go inward. And it starts by closing your eyes. So if I maybe see that you are starting this journey, I might not have you close your eyes to start because we have other things that we can deal with. Or maybe you need to go directly into that. There is no right or wrong starting point. It's all just kind of like wading into this deep unconscious feminine world and seeing what comes up. And I'm just there to kind of provide the tool set that you can have to tackle whatever comes up in you. I love that so much. This is so beautiful. I'm so glad that you followed your heart and you're doing this work and you're in your purpose because we need this in the world. We need people like you, men like you who are doing this work and and, and lighting that path, not just for men, but for everyone who is disconnected because you know, as much as we want to put all the responsibility on men to heal this wounded masculine um, society, it's equally on everyone in society right like we all it's a team effort it's collaborative so i'm so glad you're doing this i appreciate that so much and just connecting with you has been yet another synchronicity of that this was the right choice and 
and just seeing, and I have to say, like, I am so impressed and inspired by your work, like just learning about your story and seeing how you've channeled all of this in such a short time. It shows that you can do so much with your life when you tap into that. So truly bottom of my heart, it's a pleasure to even have this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for making my day. It's like so sweet. Oh, it's so it's so beautiful. It was it's it's been so synchronistic with you as well. Like I was literally thinking of you the morning that you emailed me, and I was like, I need to email him. And then you emailed me. And I was like, Stop! Like, what is going on? This is just it's so good, and my mind is blown from this conversation. But I have like two or three wrap up questions for you before we close this out. We kind of talked a little bit before we started recording on redefining the term toxic masculinity. And so we've been using the term wounded masculine. I'm so on board with that. Can you share with the listeners why you feel like we need to redefine the term so that we can be conducive to healing? Yes, gladly. Um, And there's this one quote that I always, I I love quotes. I'm a huge like literature (laughs) guy. And uh, this one quote specifically has always stood out to me where it is, essentially you become what you hate and this this concept of focusing on this negative energy right the best way to see it is almost when you look at revolutions where if you have this this class that's fighting against the hierarchy and they overthrow it if they are fighting it in this idea of hate they essentially if you look in in history they basically turn into their oppressor and right. so it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way where they're, and it's, again, I, I come at it from a very gentle, loving standpoint of knowing that we're all at the end of the day just hurting inside and we're trying to do the best we can. When it comes out in a way that is attacking the other, whether it's the, the person with a different skin color or a different gender or whatever it is, if you other mm-hmm. something, then you're going to essentially like create that same dissonance and that same pain so when you say oh it's toxic masculinity all you're doing is almost reflecting this toxicity within yourself outward instead of noticing oh there is this person who is wounded and they're acting out and it's hurting me that doesn't say that you shouldn't stand up for disrespect right that's where you kind of come into your power and you can hold this space of i'm protecting myself but you also shouldn't pull out your sword and cut the person who attacks you. Correct. And so it's it's that. this reframing of a woundedness so that you can understand that, okay, you are wounded, right? And maybe it's you're wounded by the very person who is who you're labeling toxic, but right. it takes our responsibility to be like, I'm wounded and they're acting like this because they're also wounded. So how can yes. we bridge that gap and see that we are actually all the same and we're just trying to protect ourselves? Absolutely. This brings me back to part of the conversation we were having earlier before we started the episode too of like in in that perspective then if we are, and, and it is true, I, I, I know this inherently of like labeling something as toxic, like toxic masculinity is, is outwardly projecting the inner toxicity. And I, I want to bring this back to this very um, like hyper feminist sort of, of ideology where women... And, you know, I, I'm really honest with the listeners. Like, I, I, I will call shit out of, like, this idea of, like, women saying, fuck men, I hate men, is literally just as toxic as the toxic masculinity they're hating. Because we are literally, in that sense, then these women are saying that it's okay to hate 
men for having hated women, but then you're just doing what the perpetrator did, right? Like it's this loop. So, so it's like, like well, I hate women because they hate men. Like, and then the cycle goes on. Like so, so I'm I'm so on board with that, and I think, you know, I think maybe the the ego because it's so self protective is not one to willingly admit. Oh, I have toxic traits that I need to heal, but it is more willing to say I am wounded. Right. And then we could go into like victim complexes and like a whole other like level of like subconscious shit that allows for that to be an admission rather than the other. But I, I, I love this reframe. Yes. And I will say one thing to that that's helped me is almost recognizing that. And I've said it at the beginning, but recognizing that everybody has the masculine and the feminine. And yes, and I find a lot that I notice and the best way for me to put it is towards the feminine because I am the opposite, so I see it more, is that you see the hyper-feminine is almost, I have instances where I can tell that they're disgusted by my femininity because it almost reminds them that they have masculinity and they're trying to, and they're almost like disgusted oh, by know. the masculinity in them. So me as a man expressing a feminine just reminds them that they are a woman that expresses masculine. And if they don't integrate that, then they're going to project yeah. it outward. Yes, oh my God, yes, in every way, yes. For those of you who are, who might be curious on that whole conversation, there's an episode on this podcast. Um, it, I forget what it's titled, it is, um, Who Are Yin and Yang? Or, or something like that. I talk about the energetic polarities of how like every individual is 90% one polarity and 10% the other. It's irrespective of sex, gender, whatever. Um, and, and yeah, you're spot on. There would be women who are intimidated or disgusted or whatever they feel by a man who is more feminine than they might feel connected to their masculine or their feminine. It's such a weird like lens of projection and deflection. Yeah, but, psychology is yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's insane. It's... The, the human experience is just, it's so deep and complex. And I feel like these are such important conversations we we need to be having. Um, so thank you. And I have one final question for you. Um, how can men help other men through the healing of their masculine? And how can women help men through the healing of their masculine? Amazing question. I think it is the most important question of the day. Um, the first element of men helping men is creating that community. There is this, okay. and, and I think this also can be said about women helping women, is th that we create such a competitive culture and mm -hmm. it, it individualizes us. And it creates this like, I am better than, or I need to be better than. And to a degree, there is a healthy element to competition, right? But there's also this need for community. And again, it goes back to this, if you think of things in a very like ancient way, these tribes, like we all came from tribes and in that yeah. tribalistic living, everybody was so connected with each other. And the men would go off on the warrior side of things while the women went off and did, they did their nurturing side of things. And you had that right. tribal connection with the same sex and the same gender. Right. And you could right. bond. And then in that bonding, you still have the competition, but it's fun and it's playful and it allows everybody to grow. But if you right. have it from a very, and it also comes with a lot of inner work of separating yourself from the ego and detaching the ego mm -hmm. just a bit, and then you can yeah. fully lean into that. So that's what okay. I would say towards the men 
men helping men is finding your community and it takes time find your tribe you and and this is where you have to find that feminine too is listen to that because you might force yourself into a community that maybe isn't the right one for you and that's okay but know that you need to listen to what's happening inside as you make these bigger decisions to lead you to the place you're meant to be and then you i promise you and this is something i'm still working through is looking for that proper community and really really taking your time and you'll know when you find it Mm -hmm. i love that for the for yeah absolutely and for the the women helping men this one it's harder for me because again i don't know the female experience i would i would say that that whole idea of almost even just framing or reframing your uh, vocabulary around toxic masculinity is a great starting point. And that way you can see it as a wounded man or even a boy who is trying to step into his manhood. And yeah. I, I would also say just in terms of like a coaching element that I tell everybody is that the, the most important thing that you can do for anything is to focus on your own inner work and just look inward and yeah. and know that if you change anything inside of yourself, the system that you're connected to is going to change. And so if yes. you work on everything inside and you just spend whatever it is in your healing journey, if you're the type that likes to meditate, you go meditate. If you're the type that likes to go do talk therapy, like whatever it is, Focus on that and just focus on making you the best version of yourself so that when instances come up and a man comes in who's wounded and he lashes out his sword, you are equipped to then handle that instance in a way that serves the higher power of everybody involved instead of taking your sword out or wound it, the wound, whatever it is, and just being unconscious in your reaction. Yeah, responding rather than reacting to the wounded man. I love that so much. Chris, thank you so much. This was such a, honestly, like beautiful is not even the right word for it. This was so expansive and thought provoking and educational. Thank you so much for this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for facilitating it and all of your juicy questions and all of the things you added in. It's been magical. Amazing. Where can people find you? Because I know there's people listening who are like, I need to work with him. I need to I need to do this inner work. Where can people find you? Yes, I am currently going through a whole online business build right now. So to Ooh. start, we're doing uh, Instagram as like my main base. Okay. Uh, CJ Sintic. It's S-I-N-T-I-C. And I can answer any DMs. I'll direct you to different resources I have. And then slowly I'm building this online kingdom, if you will. Ooh, I love it. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I will have um, Chris's info linked below. Go give him a follow on Instagram, guys. Have these powerful conversations. Open yourself up to healing your inner masculine and inner feminine. And experience the magic of Chris's work because... This just transformed me in an hour and a half. I can't imagine like a customized experience with you. I think it would be amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much.